Podcast. The Gospel according to Matthew was written by a former tax collector who was transformed by the power of Christ. Instead of keeping records for Rome, now he would keep records for God, carefully recording all that Jesus said and did. Matthew references more than 60 Old Testament prophecies, proving Jesus is indeed the promised Messiah. Jesus really is who he claimed to be, our Savior and soon returning King. Now let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Matthew. Alrighty. It is that time, as I like to say. Time to pick up where we left off. Happy church. Back to your seats, into the sheep pen. It's time for the feed to be put into the trough so that the shepherd can do his task, which God says in the Bible, the job, the primary task of all pastors is first and foremost to feed the flock the word of God. Amen? Amen. And that's why you're here. We go chapter by chapter, verse by verse through the scriptures. And today we pick back up there in Matthew 18 for an exciting, uh, very intriguing five little verses that a lot of ink has been spilled and applying and explaining. So we're in uh, for a treat. Let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Father God, we look to you now. We're all sinners, God, and uh, relationships are important to you, and so sometimes we end up falling short and causing offenses and hurting one another and sinning. And you have a process for when those kinds of things happen to bring reconciliation and love and healing. So, Father, we want to be all ears, hear what the Spirit is saying to your people. We need you. We need your word. In Christ's name, amen. So you heard that little limerick. It goes, to dwell above with those we love, oh, the joy and glory. But to live below with those we know, now that's a different story. (laughs) And I know the reason you're laughing is because it's true. When we get to heaven, we will be changed. We will be perfected for eternity. We will be sinless. You will not be able to sin in heaven. And we say hallelujah to that. Amen. And so, yeah, because that will be a place where, quote, only righteousness and goodness dwell. And so no problems there relationally. But here and now, we're works in progress. We fall short of the glory of God. Get this, Jeremiah says, this unflattering statement about our hearts. Chapter 17, verse 9. He says, the human heart is deceitful beyond all things and desperately sick. Who can even understand it? And so because the sin nature is retained in our hearts even after conversion. God raises us to new life, but we have that old sinful self that we have to, through the power of the Spirit, put to death on a daily basis, but it's still there. And as you know, and I know, it can often get 
the upper hand. And so when it does, we can sin or we can be careless in our relationships and cause a lot of problems and also break, really, the most important command, the command to love one another. That's a big deal. It's bigger than most Christians realize. How we treat one another, which is the theme of Matthew 18 here, is a big deal to God. If you were to ask me, what have I learned in four decades of uh, being in the ministry? And maybe with the question, what's the greatest pitfall or the blind spot that really sabotages most Christians' lives and makes their life uh, diminished in its quality and blessing from God, I would say it's in the underestimating of the importance of how we treat one another, especially those who we might consider the least significant Christian. And so nothing will blow a hole in the side of your boat than disrespecting and mistreating one of God's little ones, and that's who he calls us. He calls us his little children. That's who we are. And he's got this crazy, <laughs> divine, passionate, protective love toward every single person who's been bought by his blood, made in his image, and reserved a spot in heaven for them where they will reign and rule forever with him. And based on their importance to God, not our personal feelings toward them, we must reassess how we treat people because of this crazy love he has for that person, whether you appreciate that about them or not. And so think about it when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment by a Jew who knows there were 613 of them? He said, which one is the most important? Jesus said, that's easy. Love God with everything you got. And love other people with that same passionate focus that you have in loving yourself. Treat them the way you want to be treated. And he said, if you do that, loving God and love people like that, he said, the whole Old Testament, all of Judaism, all of God's divine purpose for man is hanging on those two things. In other words, he's saying loving others, really, is uh, God's greatest desire for any human being. It's Number one, his number one passion. And in light of that, it makes sense when he gives us strong words about caring for one another, that this is important. To have a falling out and be out of fellowship with somebody where there's some fault or something lacking on your part, that you've left something hanging and you're out of sorts with somebody, he says, you're out of sorts with me too. You're out of fellowship with the person you're out of fellowship with God. He said, for example, you come to church. You've got your gift on the altar, as he says in Matthew chapter 5. And there you remember, man, somebody's got something against you. You've done something you shouldn't have done. You've hurt them in some way. And there's some responsibility on your part to make things right. He says, hey, just stop. Leave your gift on the altar. Go and work it out with them. Then come back and worship me. You see how important? Even the Ten Commandments, the first table of the commandments, are love for God. The second half, love for one another. You can't love God and treat people made in his image, especially 
Christians who are going to share eternity with you as little children of God. You can't treat them with contempt, disrespect, or disdain. He says, I'll take that personally. And so now, cheers. (laughs) It happens to preachers. It's called talking too much. So yeah, uh, it's important to God how we treat one another, as we're going to see all of Matthew 18 talk about. So, you know, one more thing just to show you. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, if you've called your brother in the Lord an idiot, you've committed a sin worthy of hell. Whoa, Jesus just got everybody's attention. What do you mean? That's so easy to do. We do it all the time. And he says, yeah, so in light of what I just said, maybe you should stop doing it. Maybe you should think about how you speak to one of mine. To one of mine. That's one of mine you're talking to. Your mom and dad, before we dive in here, mom and dad, you've got that protective love for a little one. Somebody aggresses or hurts or trips up your little kid. People die for that. And God says, people also die when they trip up my little ones. He said, in fact, you would prefer death by drowning rather than what awaits from me when somebody trips up one of the least significant of my little ones. That was last week's sermon. That ought to just sober everybody up about, whoa, got to stop, take a breath, and consider the words that I speak to one of God's little ones and how I treat them. Amen. And so, yes, so uh, this whole thing, Matthew 18, now as we get started, uh, this whole idea about the value and importance of relationships and keeping the peace and making sure there's harmony in the Christian church and community and all of this, it was prompted by the disciples' bad behavior. They're nauseating, narcissistic, arguing over which one of them was greatest. And they're like, shut up, Peter, I'm the greatest. Lord, tell him. Tell him right now. Just settle it. Which one of us is greatest? It's me, right? Shut up, Andrew. Uh, right? That's what, that's exactly what was going on here. And Jesus said, um, let me tell you this much. If you don't humble yourself, if you don't change, here's his answer. If you don't change and be converted from this behavior, you're not even going to heaven. That was his answer. And then he said, if you, if you, you need to be humble with smaller egos, like a little kid, like a five-year-old, unassuming, meek, not all about you and your climb to the top and does everybody recognize how great I am and all of that. He says, you're doing it wrong. So uh, sinful offending of others or sinning, just plain out sinning, must be avoided at all cost in the community. and But when it does happen, it, it needs to be addressed swiftly, biblically, and reconciliation has to happen. It's really important to God. And so he gives us a process, and then he adds a PS to the process and, and backs it with his authority. So he says, here's how to handle it, and by the way, heaven's on board, 
And these are heaven's ideas, not just arbitrary, hey, you've got to shape up here. This God, God's got standard protocols for his people, right? And so let's take a look at the steps of reconciliation now when things go sideways between believers. Verse 15, if your brother or sister sins against you, or just also the idea there is sinning and it's Uh, affecting and damaging people around you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, guess what? You won your brother over. But if he's not going to listen, take one or two others along so that, and he quotes Deuteronomy, now the Old Testament, every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. I'll explain that. Verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, and tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. That's got a surprise twist to it. <laughs> Moving on. I tell you the truth. Now, here's the, the, the thing. This is the context. And people, Christians, use this all the time without considering the context. That the context here is dealing with conflict resolution in the church among Christians. That the decisions the church makes are backed by heaven, they are actually given by heaven, and that Jesus is in the mix when we're doing that kind of reconciliation. I tell you the truth, whatever you forbid, require, on earth will be already forbidden in heaven. And whatever you loose or allow on earth will be allowed, will what have, will have been already allowed in heaven. That is the Greek, anyway, the tense. Verse 19, again, I tell you, if two or three of you come to this decision about dealing with these people, anything you ask for, your wisdom in it, grace and patience, and it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, the two or three that just went to go and help the brother come back to his senses, where, where you guys are doing your thing, guess what? I'm with you. It's my work, not just your work. You're not like the Rotary Club. This is my church, and I'm there when the two or three are doing the work. That's my best to try to already help you understand it. We're going to go back to it, but it's really the PS at the end. I really want to talk about the conflict resolution Jesus style uh, first. And so we will, we're going to dive in in just a second now as we get situated And so there's a three-step process, really, uh, for serious issues. How do we know it's only for serious issues? Well, because the process ends with the church involved and pastor involved and all of that. This is not for everyday offense. We'll talk about that. So, uh, yeah, so invaluable relationship advice here. We want to call it advice, but a better word would be commands that bring wisdom and sound advice, right? How to keep the peace when somebody in the midst of the Christian community could care less about keeping the peace. It's all about them, what I want. You know, I'm blinded by my sin, my greed, my desire, my lust, and I'm going to sin uh, without regard to God, his commands, his people, the Christian church, my testimony, who cares? When it's all about you. It's all about me. And then these kinds of things can happen. 
Uh, James chapter 3 and verse 16 says, where you find a self-centered ambition, self-centeredness, there you will find chaos and every evil practice. Oh, that makes so much sense. Think of the worst, hideous crime. It'll be traced back to me, myself, and I. A, a love of what I want as opposed to what's good for others. And so, yeah. So the first part is <laughs> I love, uh, 15 through 17, is going to be, you, you know, you go privately, then you bring a couple, then you go to the church. You call that the process of restoration, right? Uh, now, uh, what I see right away there before we even dive in is it's a process. Nobody in God's church ever, you know, steps over a line and then gets the door slammed in their face. And God doesn't fire somebody on first offense. There's a process. It's prayerful. There's patience. There's time. There's hoping. It's all to win that person back. And so the process, verses 15 through 17, note takers. And, and then the PS, and don't forget, it's the authority of heaven that's backing the whole deal. It's not, like I said, some arbitrary actions. The actions we take are the actions God has taken and is working through his church. And so let's dive in to what some associate with. We can put the verses up there. Well, it's step one, right? Uh, some associate this passage with Matthew 18. So Christians who have been Christians a long time, when there's a problem relationally with somebody, everybody will say, well, you know, you got a Matthew 18, you know, and everybody knows, oh, church discipline, ah, ah, bad name for it. This church grace, church love, church rescue, Church wholeness, church restoration, reconciliation, church love. The church that, that doesn't say, uh, am I my brother's keeper? Uh, you know who said that? A murderer. A murderer. Am I my brother's keeper? A new commandment I give to you guys. A new commandment. Because a new commandment to love one another, not in the Old Testament way of loving in the New Testament way of loving and giving your life up for the person, going all the way to the cross for that person. That's why it's a new commandment I give that's unconditional, that you love one another. So the world will say, oh my, there must be a God in heaven. Look at the way they love each other. That's what Jesus said. And so uh, let's dive in here. I'll paraphrase for you. If your brother or sister in the Lord sins against you in a serious way, <laughs> go talk it over with them privately, just the two of you. If they soften their hearts, acknowledge the wrongdoing. If they repent, oh, happy day. Guess what? You won him back. Underline that. That's so important for the purpose. And so not actually step one. If you know your Bible, this is step two. Step one is let it go. Step one is, if it's minor and petty and would be better to just cover it over with love, cover it over with love. Let it go. It may be a sin, but not all sins are created equal, right? Uh, and uh, be, because this sin, this sin ends with uh, disfellowshipping in the worst case scenario. So it can't be those minor things like, uh, you know, an insult a little bit of blowing off steam or when people ignore you or treat you with disrespect, 
right? This is 911. This is a 911 thing. Now, you know, 911, there's 911 for big stuff. And there's the non-emergency line for a loud party or a barking dog, you know, something like that. But humans love to make a mountain out of a molehill, right? And so I was reading about a 911 call. Uh, she called to complain the hotel parking spot was too small. <laughs> and then below that, they named another one, a gal at a hairstylist place. Uh, the, the lady cut her hair too short. So she called. And there was a lady in first service who said, oh, I'd do worse than that. <laughs> she cut off my hair like that. I'd do worse than call 911. And, and so this, this process that ends with going to the elders, it has to be more than something that God would say, turn the other cheek, which is an idiom about being insulted. Someone insults you here, Say, hey, you missed the spot. Go ahead, say it again. It doesn't matter. Because my ego is so small, I don't really care. I, uh, I'll trust the truth to God. So uh, is, is he calling you to, before step one, to go the extra mile? Or uh, to if someone's suing you for your coat, he says, you know, throw in some shoes or throw in something nice, you know? What are they like? Uh, you know, if your enemy's hungry, feed them kind of. Uh, attitude. See, so that's the suggestion to God. Let me show you three reasons why you might want to, just before you get to step one, that you do step pre-one here. Solomon, do not pay attention to every little word that people say about you, or you're going to hear somebody close to you cursing you. For you know in your heart that many times you yourself have done the, 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 the same thing. So, so you know, you know, if you catch somebody, somebody's texting something not um, pleasant about you, but they text it to you instead, right? <laughs> You're gonna hold their feet to the fire for the rest of their life. You're gonna make like, I've got him now. How dare you? You know, and it's like, bro, you've done the same thing. You've done the same thing. Almost everything you accuse and that you're irritated about in somebody else, you've done it. And sometimes better and more than the other person doing it, right? And so, yeah, you've got to take that into consideration. And then he says, uh, good sense makes one slow to anger, long views. You're not quick to say, oh, you've offended me. You run around, you've got a grievance about every little thing. That makes you the problem there. But, uh, and it is a person's glory to overlook an offense. An offense is like, boom, and you overlook it. Oh, that's so hard to do. And when you do it, you want to be recognized for it. So you're running around telling people, guess what I overlooked? <laughs> <laughs> what good is it to overlook something and then feel like, oh, nobody recognized it except God? And I gotta wait all that time to see him and be rewarded for that? No way. I gotta tell everybody. <laughs> Why is it to your glory to let it go? An offense. That's a big deal. It hurt, it stung. And you let it go. Why is it to your glory? Because you're more like Christ. You're more patient than most people. Your ego is small. You're entrusting God. You're more mature than everybody else to your glory. 
And then he says, uh, above all, love each other. If you get this passionate love for people, you just turn a blind eye to the dumb stuff. That Yes, it's hurtful. Yes, it can be sin even. But, but love will just cover over so many things. And in a day like today, and with people like we are, you could be offended 20 times. Easy, at least a dozen. Right? But love, when you're just so loving, you're just like, let it fly, whatever. A lot of that. Now, there's a lot of times when that's not the right thing to do, that you have to expose something. Like, for example, I've got a scripture here, Ephesians 5. And this is what we're talking about. Have no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. There you go. Now, this is something, hey, bro, this is serious. People's lives are being affected. The well-being of the church, wholeness and unity in all of this, instead expose them. It's shameful to even talk about the things ungodly people do in secret, but their evil intentions will be exposed when the light comes in on them, and that light makes everything visible for the purpose of redemption and reconciliation and healing and restoring that brother, not shining on the light to say, oh, look at you, you sinner. No, look at what's happening here. The devil's got a foothold. You're in harm's way. People are being hurt. And God is good. Let's get on our knees here, man, and talk to God and see him turn it around and make something good out of it. That's what it is, you know. And so, yeah, some question textually about does against you belong in the text or is it just a brother who you find is sinning and causing problems indirectly to you or directly. It doesn't really matter. Uh, But yes, that's the idea. Either way, you're to take initiative. And did I already mention this, but this is important. Did you notice how important it is? Whoever, listen, in Matthew 5, he says, "If, if you're the offender and you think about it, before you even worship God, go take care of your part in it, right? And if you're the offended one, I want you to go take care of this so that no relational falling out in the kingdom of God is allowed to be met with passivity, allowed for it to fester. And you know what Hebrews 12 says? It says, do not allow a bitter root to spring up and thereby, listen, quote, defile many. That's why God says, I don't care whose fault it is. If you're the one who did it, if you're the one it was done to, you're both obligated. Go and make it right as far as it depends on you. Because it takes two to tango. So you just make sure you've done all that you can do. right? You can't control the, the other end. You can influence them, but you can, you're not responsible if they're still making a scene, but you've done everything humanly and divinely possible. God knows that. That's from Romans 12, as far as it depends on you. You do your part all the way, 100%, and then you're off the hook. Now, we usually do it the opposite. <laughs> you get your feelings hurt, or you've come across something terrible, and you go and tell the whole church, 
right? That's step number three. So you tell the whole church first, and then you calm down, and then you just talk to a few of your friends. That's step number two. And now you're making your way to step number one, and then things calm down more, and then you go and talk to the person. (laughs) You got it backwards, and when you got it backwards, you will exacerbate it tenfold. Oh, 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 do it God's way. Start with the person. And so you go. You do a few things. Keep this in mind. You go prayerfully. Here's the purpose, and he tells you in the text. You go not to say, aha, you wronged me. It's my time now. Admit it. Mess up. You know, none of that. <laughs> oh, you may feel better as a result of what's the real purpose. Win him. Win your brother. That's the point. It has very little to do with you. You've got to pray through all of that and see the person as he's in the snare of the evil one. He's adrift. He's in harm's way spiritually. I've got to go and rescue him, not discipline him, not show him his stuff, not rub his nose in it. You're called to rescue and win him, to treasure him, to regain harmony, to make the flock whole, to bring the wanderer to safety. I mean, take a look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. A servant of the Lord must not be not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach and be patient with difficult people. Hello. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. I did not. That's not even a sin. What does it say in the Bible? I can't, you know, smoke pot. Sorry, I'm just adding. No, honestly, that not in my notes, not in first service. It just popped into my head. What does it say? Okay, gently. Perhaps God will change their hearts and they will learn the truth. And they'll come to the senses and escape the trap of the devil who's taken them captive to do his will. This is a Christian who's been taken captive because the devil came around and said, hey, you want to have some fun? And you go, yeah, okay. So he's taken you captive, but you let him. He can't take anybody captive who won't let him. Resist the devil and he will flee, right? Yeah, so that's the part part there. You want to win him. You don't want to manipulate him so that you'll feel better. Yeah, finally, admit it. You were wrong, weren't you? Ah, that won't work. Just don't go for that. Don't go until you've prayed through enough to where you're able to actually care about that person, right? And so humble and gently. And, and, and with the log out of your own eye, you know, Jesus said, when you go to help people uh, get the log out of their face, you know, he says, excuse me, when you're self-righteous and think it's all about them and you've contributed nothing, actually you're the one with the telephone pole hanging out of your face. <laughs> so when you go, make sure the log, you've already checked into your own heart about your attitudes, your sins, all the times that you have been led down the wrong path. So you go with sympathy and, and humility and empathy. That makes it easier for the brother. You say, hey man, you're struggling with this. I know how that goes, right? 
You're struggling with keeping your phone on during church service. <laughs> it's happened to me, you know, and it has happened to me. Let me tell you about once I heard some music going on, and I'm like, hey, I hate to stop everything, but I hear this music. It's in the, it's in the mains, man, and the sound guy's going, I don't know what you're talking about. I go, I hear a worship song. I can't preach and have that up here. And then I, I, I'm hearing it, and I go, oh my, it's my phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I go easy on others. See, that's the idea. It's like, oh, come on. How many times do you have to hear in the church announcement, shut off your phones, right? And then your phone goes off in your pocket. <laughs> that's kind of what it is up here. And so, yeah, so... Uh, Galatians 6.1, along those lines, he says, Brothers and sisters, someone's caught in a sin. Aha! You who live by the Spirit, you who are spiritually mature, should restore that person gently. But watch yourself, or you're going to be tempted too. So a lot of times you get involved in people's sin. You get sucked in. You get corrupted. So he says, just, just stop to think. You're vulnerable, man. This isn't all about that terrible, wicked, evildoer. You're a brother who knows all too well what it's like to dance with the devil, sadly. We all know that. So how did it go? We're asking you, maybe. You're the one. Let's pretend. And you would say something like, well, it started off good. <laughs> it always does. Uh, and then 20 minutes in, something it took a turn somewhere. The adrenaline kicked uh, in, and I blew up. And he became defensive. I became impatient, and I left without result. OK, step two. So but there we go. So if he turns you away, take a couple others with you for the sake of accountability. None, none of this he said, she said stuff. We, now we're going to have to have other people listening, observing, and giving their input too because uh, we, in a multitude of counselors, there is wisdom. That's a proverb. Okay, so step two, bring along a couple friends. Not Sylvester Stallone <laughs> or Guido. Okay, he's not saying, you know what? You didn't listen to me the first time, so this is my friend Guido. Okay, you tell Guido you don't know what I'm talking about. Go ahead, tell Guido. Yeah. Oh, yeah, well, no, no, we bring friends who love us and hate them, right? We bring, oh, all everybody who says, oh, yeah, that's terrible. Let's go. Let's all pray that finally this wicked person will see. Come, No, no, no. You might want to pick people who he loves, he respects, that isn't as biased, right? Who might turn to you, and this is one of the reasons they're there, and tell you, bro, oh, you're, you're not hearing what he's saying. You, the one leading the charge. And you, oh, you shouldn't have said that. Or, or maybe he can receive from somebody other than the person leading the charge. That's another reason you bring a couple people. Different personalities, different approaches but to protect you from the offender who gets really angry and starts to be uh, vengeful and then makes stuff up about you. <laughs> that happens. But not if two other people are in the room 
and see it and hear it. So what Jesus is referring to is in the court of law in Deuteronomy chapter 19, 15, the laws on the books were, listen, you can't convict somebody just because somebody says, hey, I seen it. No. You have to have a multitude of eyewitnesses, character references. We've got to hear from more than one. If we're going to convict somebody of something, the law of Moses said, uh, oh, it's serious. We need to hear from others their view on this, right? And once again, in the multitude of counselors, observers, there is wisdom there. Yes, and so one or two people, one or two, like I said, um, somebody that they respect. And so you might ask now, okay, you brought your friends, you brought some pizza, you, you brought some brownies afterwards, how did that go? And you say, well, it started off pretty good, because <laughs> it always does. Uh, then the guy started saying, you know, hey, I'm feeling like you guys are ganging up on me. Like, you don't know what I'm trying to say here. You know, and I think everybody's gossiping and everybody knows about it. And you've told the whole church. And no, we haven't. We're the only ones who know. Oh, no. Every, and then, you know, well, you got just leave. Just leave. Okay. He asked you to leave. And then you got a phone call the next day that he's up to his old tricks again. Now it's time for step three. You call the pastor. You make an appointment with the pastor. When it says, go tell the church, He's not saying, oh, this is ridiculous. Go tell everybody in the church. No, go tell the authority in the church, the leaders. Go talk to the person who represents the church from God's appointed position of authority to shepherd the people. Go tell them, the pastors. Okay, so do we have that verse up there? So if he refuses to listen to them and kicks all three of them to the curb, uh, then make an appointment with the pastor. And if he doesn't budge an inch with the elders, consider him like an unbeliever, like an outsider. Right. So now, church discipline is associated with this passage where in some churches, any sin, even if it's private, they will haul the person up to the front and they will humiliate them and excommunicate them. Here's my opinion on that. That's a misstep. If somebody's sin is public, then public admonition and rebuke is warranted. If you, if you did something that made the press Democrat, well, I'm sorry, you're going to have to either, uh, you don't have to even have them come up. You can just tell the story and explain it. The elders have met with them and this is what we're doing because everybody knows and it affected everybody. No problem there. Sad, bad, hopefully, and even that's done for hope it brings you back because we love you and you're important to God. So, so I hope that pressure of not being able to enjoy you know, the men's breakfast and the Bible studies and all of that, I hope it does it, its work that way. And so, yeah, no, no need to publicly humiliate people with their private sins. They come before the church in this sense. The board of elders, which are the pastors, call them in and they sit before the church. That's the church. And then we deal with it. And if there's an answer, there's a repentance, which there often is. 
And if not, it doesn't mean that you necessarily say, well, that's it. You know, depending on what we're talking about and da how dangerous it is and terrible. But the idea isn't to shun them like some kind of cult. The idea is to win them, treat them like an outsider. In other words, bro, you know, when you're living in sexual immorality, you cannot come to the men's breakfast and pretend everything's fine. So you're not welcome at that. So you can't enjoy the fellowship while you're out of sorts and sinning in destructive ways like that. And so, but it doesn't mean, so, so treat them like a tax collector. <laughs> well, everybody went, oh, do we have to? Because why? Jesus was a friend to the tax collectors. He loved them and they loved him. He got accused of being a friend of sinners and tax collectors. Why? Because he was. He was friends with them. So when he says, treat him like a tax collector, the Pharisee said, yeah, pound him into the dirt. You know, cuss him out when you see him. Whatever, that's how much they hated them. But Jesus loved them and said, win them. He ate with them. He hung out with them. Now, you don't put yourself in harm's way. There are some people that are really sick and twisted and dangerous and nor do you have to become their best friend again. We do have wisdom. God gave us minds and brains, right? But as far as we're concerned in our hearts and our efforts, the whole thing is about trying to win them, loving them, be merciful and kind, yet at the same time having to protect everybody. You have to protect people. Right? So it's a delicate balance, but God, if God has called the men, he's gifted them. And they're able to, with wisdom and character qualities, they're up for the task at hand. And so, yeah. Um, so we'll finish up with the backing of heaven now is really point two. There's only two points, really, the restorative process and the authority of heaven here. So yeah, let me walk through this and kind of explain it as I walk through it. So in context of he just said, oh, one person was rejected trying, and then you brought two or three, and then you went to the church, and the church, he didn't listen to the church. So I tell you the truth, uh, whatever, binding and loosing, remember back in Matthew 16, where Jesus spoke to Peter and said, I'm going to build my church and you're one of the leaders and I'm going to give you leaders of my church the keys to the kingdom of God. So that, and then he quoted this again, whatever things you bind will be bound. Really the Greek, and it's awkward in the English, whatever things you bind will have been bound in heaven. That's better. It's awkward, but it's how it is in Greek. And whatever things you lose. So you've got the the keys, right, to, to heaven. In other words, binding was whatever you prohibit. Whatever behavior you say, nope, not going to fly. You can't be a born-again Christian and live in, in immorality. Nope. You, that's a binding. That's a door shut. That's a key that says, oh, not going to open to that. And then the loosing was the permitting, the requiring, the allowing, so in other words, you would say, be able to unlock the door by saying, listen, you're a sinner, but if you trust in Christ, if you call on his name, you're going to be saved. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him shouldn't perish but have everlasting life. So you have faith in Christ with evidence of a changed life. Moral goodness is evidence, right? So that's, those are the things that you unlock and you allow. You, what's the word there? Bind and loose. That's the loosing, the opening, right? So he's saying... Again, I tell you, if two of you on earth, he just talked about the two who's trying to reconcile. So we're talking about the work of going over, talking to him, hey, listen, this isn't right. You stole money from the offering. We've got to deal with that. That just popped in my head as well. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just trying to think of a crime, right? Okay, you stole money. So, so those two... You've agreed on this is a problem. We've got to deal with this. And anything you ask for in the context of church reconciliation, it'll be done for you by my Father in heaven. What does he mean? Listen, who's up to the task? Who loves confronting people? It's hard. It's complicated. He's saying, but you can ask for patience and love and grace and wisdom and insight and discernment. And God will give it to you because it's his work you're doing. This isn't the Cub Scouts or the Rotary Club or 4-H. This is the Church of the Living God, and he is behind the disciplining process, or I should say the reconciliation process, because that's what it is. So he's saying, you're not alone in it. Just so you know, you know, when you get in the car and you're like, oh, oh I don't want to do this. He's like, two or three of you, which I just mentioned, I'm there. You see, we always use that for when there's a small turnout. <laughs> we say, well, two or three gathered together, you know what he says. Yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, that's nice, and yeah, we get it, but that's not have nothing to do with the context. The context is when a couple of you, when the church is embroiled in something complicated like this, and slander's happening, and name-calling, and church dividing, and families are crying, and all of this, he says, just know, I'm right there with you. I'm working. These are my ideas. And which gives the church authority to, to where the person says, hey, who made you boss of me? Well, we're not bossing you, sir. We're just telling you as shepherds of God's people, there are some standards and you're falling short and you are, we'll work alongside with you. How can we help? We, we're here to serve you. We pay for counseling when people have problems and, and it's over our heads. The church will say, hey, we'll give you three shots with a Christian therapist. We're here for you. This isn't about us good, you bad. <laughs> we better than you. No. No, no, no. We're all sinners. We all know. We get it. You know. But the point is here. I'm with you. Two or three in the process. Don't forget I'm right there. I'm helping you with your pain. I'm helping you with a struggle to forgive them and want them to be restored. Because you don't have that, right? He just says, just so you know, anything you ask for, a change of heart, the wisdom and all of that, it's all there because this is my idea. It's not your idea. Let's pray together. Now, Father... Oh, so many issues, I'm sure, have been brought up into people's minds. And for good reason. We want to have everything right. God, as far as it depends on us, at least. 
We pray that you would go ahead and bring to mind things that we might want to take note of and confess to you, either current sins that we're creating or problems that we're doing that's hurting people or things we haven't fully apologized for or taken uh, uh, responsibility for that, that's hindering others from wholeness. That's important, God. Help us bring to mind the things that we could do as humbling it is for us and, and distasteful as it is to our natural inclination to do it as unto you to facilitate wholeness in the other, the one that you love, the one that you are wanting to minister to. But we look to you, God. Man, none of this is possible without you, God. And even with you, it's hard. We look to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.